0: another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. grateful for this chance to be with you. Uh, let me just say today's going to be uh, a, maybe a little triggering for some people. Uh, LDS.org and church leadership, they have removed Elder Packer's October 1976 general conference talk in the priesthood session where he talks to the young men of the church and talks about masturbation and does so in such an unhealthy way. And uh, I want to say like, so as we're going to have this conversation, we're going to share the audio from Packer's talk. We're going to break in and share thoughts and ideas from, from time to time. But I don't want this talk to go down the memory hole. I want all of us to be aware of what was there. I also want to give Packer a little bit of uh, a kudos in this regard and, and not in terms of the subject matter and how he handled it. Uh, there was a podcast done on Mormon Stories, and I forget who the interviewee was. Uh, John Dolan has a conversation where this person shares that they had inside information that Packer was deeply uncomfortable. He was given the assignment to talk on this subject, He was deeply uncomfortable, did not want to talk on this. And I would simply ask, if you listen to the audio, and if you want, you can find the video on YouTube. If you listen or watch and listen, you're going to pick up that Packer was nervous. Uh, It it became really clear to me as I listened to this that Packer was very nervous about the talk he was given uh, to, to, to share. He was essentially assigned this subject, uh, and he did not want to do it. Uh, and, he, and he does it because that's what good church leaders do in this unhealthy, high-demand fundamentalist system. So we're going to share the audio today. If this is not your cup of tea, just you know, shut it off. Um, I, I consider myself pretty damn healthy. I joined the church later in my teen years. Uh, I consider myself having avoided... Much of Mormonism's trauma that it causes to young people. And uh, it, it still was triggering for me. So I, I just want to give everybody the heads up that they have a chance to step away. The other thing I want to say to listeners we've got a lot of cool things coming, and there's a lot of cool things already happening. Uh, if you're not listening to the Rainbow uh, Mormon podcast, it is an incredible podcast geared towards LGBT. Uh, folks in LGBT issues. Great podcast. It is, it is just, they're doing, he, the, the host is doing just a fantastic job uh, with that podcast. Uh, everybody here knows Radio Free Mormon. Uh, Radio Free Mormon is just hitting it out of the park. For those uh, who are in a mixed faith marriage or are, are concerned about mixed faith issues, the Marriage on a Tightrope podcast with Alan and Katie. The hosts there are doing a fantastic job. We are trying, like heck, to bring you uh, content that helps you to navigate, deconstruct, discover truth within Mormonism, uh, one episode at a time. I want to simply say I've been doing this for seven years, and uh, we've we've changed formats a little bit at times. We've focused more on monologues, and other times we've focused more on interviews. And we're going to try to continue to bring you uh, incredible content all along the way. But if you would please, if this podcast has been helpful or you are a supporter of the Mission of Mormon Discussion, would you please go to the website mormondiscussionpodcast.org, hit the donate button in the top menu, and would you donate 5 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or $25 a month, or maybe make a one-time donation of $100, or a one-time donation of uh, $500, or whatever it is you can do. The other day, a donor donated $5,000 to Mormon Discussion. Uh, They also donated $5,000 to Radio Free Mormon. And uh, I, I just think that's amazing. Amazing. I am deeply appreciative Of the funds that come in. It is to the point though, if I'm honest, it's to the point where I can tell that so many people within Mormonism, including myself, by the way, to some extent, are burnt out. Mormonism is a difficult thing to just keep staying in and keep talking about. When when you've walked away from it far enough, there's enough distance now. But the issue is that there are people, new people waking up every day. So I say all this because It's easy to go like, all right, this thing served its purpose for me. I'm out. I'm going to move on. And I say, great. You know, God bless you. And if you're an atheist, just bless you. But there are people waking up every single day to the messiness of Mormonism. And it is podcasts like these that help them to deconstruct and to find a healthier space. So if this podcast has been helpful to you, would you please consider donating today? Uh, Enough on that. So now let's go to President Packer's uh, audio. And uh, this was a talk to young men only. This was from October 1976, priesthood session of General Conference.
1: This meeting is for the brethren only. Therefore I speak to young men of the Aaronic Priesthood and young men only. And few times have I desired so earnestly to be sustained by the Spirit of the Lord as I discuss a subject that fathers should discuss with their sons. Because some young men do not have fathers, and because some fathers and some bishops do not know how to proceed. I approach a very personal subject, one that is important to every young man. Young man, you have been given a mortal body with which to experience earth life. Through it you will be tested. Your body is the instrument of your mind and the foundation of your character. It has within it powers which, if properly used, will contribute greatly to your exaltation. If you use this gift worthily, it will serve you throughout all eternity. Never be ashamed of your body. No two are just alike. Some young men worry because they think their body is not well proportioned. They think they are too short or too tall or too stout or too thin or too something else. Physical proportions need have little to do with success, particularly spiritual success. Be grateful to your body. Strive to keep it healthy. Take nothing into your body that would harm it. Do not use tobacco, alcohol, drugs, or any other harmful substance. A young man should learn to rule his body like his temper. He should keep it always under complete control. That sometimes is not easy to do. Within your body you have the power of creation. You will one day find a mate and desire greatly to express fully your love with her. The righteous expression of this physical love in marriage is approved of the Lord. She may then conceive and give birth to a boy or a girl, a baby, of whom you will be the father. This is a very sacred power. The Lord has commanded that you use it only with one to whom you are legally and lawfully wedded, and he has decreed serious penalties indeed for the misuse of it. This power begins early in life, with some when you are hardly in your teens. This has a purpose, for with this power come the attributes of manhood. You notice the changes in your stature, in your voice, a beard, and other masculine characteristics become part of your nature. Your feelings also change. The physical power will influence you emotionally and spiritually as well. It begins to shape you to fit and to look and to feel and to be what you need to be as a father. It affects your life several years before you should express it fully. You must always guard this power with manly wisdom. You must wait until your marriage to use it. During that waiting, what do you do with these desires? My boy, you are to control them. You are forbidden to use them now in order that you may use them with worthiness and virtue and with a fullness of joy at the proper time in your life. I wish to explain something that will help you understand your young manhood and help you develop self-control. When this power begins to form, it might be likened to having a little factory in your body, one designed to produce that substance that can generate life. This little factory moves quietly into operation as a normal and expected pattern of growth and begins to produce that life-giving substance. It will do so perhaps as long as you live. It works very slowly. That is the way it should be. For the most part, unless you tamper with it, you will hardly be aware that it is working at all. As you move closer to manhood, this little factory will sometimes produce an oversupply of this substance. The Lord has provided a way for that to be released. It will happen without any help nor without any resistance from you. Perhaps one night you will have a dream, and in the course of it the release valve that controls that little factory will open and release all that is excess. The factory and the automatic release valve works on its own schedule. The Lord intended it to be that way. It is to regulate itself. This will not happen very often. You may go a long period of time, and there will be no need for this to occur. When it does, you should not feel guilty. It is the nature of young manhood
0: and is part of becoming a man. So at this point, I want to just interject for just a moment. At this point, I'm sitting here, and I'm going like, ugh, ugh. That, like... I'm not comfortable at all with this conversation. And then I realized like the TBM and if there's a believer here listening, the believer is going, but wait a minute, God has rules and boundaries and, and there's ways in which he has provided that things are supposed to work and not work. And, and so you want to make as a TBM, as a believer, as an Orthodox member, you want to make excuses for the fact that church leaders inside the Mormon Church, which I believe to be a high-demand fundamentalist religion, an unhealthy, tra- trauma-causing, high-demand fundamentalist religion, you want to make excuses uh, for this, but this subject, this subject's inappropriate for for young men. Again, when it comes to males, ninety-nine percent. Of males masturbate. Period. It's it's a it's a it's a simple thing that's happened over the course of hundreds of thousands of years with evolution, is that we have to have sex to reproduce, and for whatever reason, it doesn't matter what it is, for whatever reason, it's perfectly normal. And here this system comes in, and this system adds shame for the fact that this doesn't go the way. It wants things to go. And for those of you who are defending Packer here, let me just remind you, the pamphlet has been taken out of circulation, and the church has removed this talk from its lds.org or now the churchofjesuschrist.org website. I think that's it. I don't give two licks anymore. If you go to the church's website, you go to the October 1976 General Conference, you'll see President Packer's face there. You'll see the name of the talk to young men only. If you click that link, you're sent somewhere else. In other words, while you're defending the subject matter that President Packer is talking about, the church in 2019 is admitting by taking the pamphlet out of circulation and removing a general conference talk completely that the subject matter should never have been said in the first place. Now he gets to the heart of the talk where he talks about masturbation directly. There is however, something you should not do.
1: Sometimes a young man does not understand. Perhaps he is encouraged by unwise or unworthy companions to tamper with that factory. He might fondle himself and open that release valve. This you should not do, for if you do, that little factory will speed up and you will be tempted to tamper with it again and again. You can quickly be subjected to a habit, one that is not worthy, one that will leave you feeling depressed and guilty. Resist that temptation. Do not be guilty of tampering or playing with this sacred power of creation. Keep it in reserve for the time that it can be righteously employed. Now one of you, perhaps, has not fully understood until now. Perhaps your father did not talk to you. You may already have been guilty of tampering with these powers. You may even have developed a habit—what then? First, I want you to know this. If you are struggling with this temptation and perhaps have not been quite able to resist it, the Lord still loves you. It is not anything so wicked, nor is it a transgression so great that the Lord would reject you because of it, but it can quickly lead to that kind of transgression. It is not pleasing to the Lord, nor is it pleasing to you. It does not make you feel
0: worthy or clean. It does not make you feel worthy or clean because whether it's our culture or whether it is our religion, we as human beings have made one, we've made sexuality this much more uncomfortable topic and we've made sexuality more taboo to talk about we've made sexuality this thing that's different than every other aspect of our life to the point where if someone's committed uh, crimes that are outside of sexuality, shoplifting, whatever, that it is easier in our society and specifically much easier inside most religious systems to acknowledge like, hey, I did this criminal behavior, I did this, you know, back in this day or this year, and I did it this many times, Then it is to ask healthy sexual questions about how to navigate sexuality in a marriage or in growing up. And so sexuality has become taboo. And then religion has added this other layer on top of that that says like sexuality is bad, we don't talk about it, like we've just uh, heightened or made larger, we've overemphasized this negativity of sexuality that yes, these kids are going to feel shame and guilt. Why? Because we have in our culture and in our systems assigned shame or guilt to them. In families where healthy conversations around sexuality occur, there is certainly either no shame or a significantly lesser degree of feeling shame with such things. Again, when we allow science to trump the invisible being that we do not see and whose writings come from thousands of years ago. And when we understand those writings in the context in which they were given, and we begin to deconstruct scripture and begin to readily accept biblical scholarship, we suddenly place an understanding on those texts that they fall deeply short of being statements from God's mouths to men's ears and then writing from pen to paper. It is something other than that. And so the moment we don't allow those texts to dictate our lives, the moment we don't allow those texts to be the answer and be all to everything, We can now look to science and say, what is healthy? What is unhealthy? How did humans get to be who they are? Why do we operate the way we do? What are our behaviors? What is a healthy way to move forward and to talk about it? And suddenly we get the hell out of having religious systems talk about whether it is good or bad in terms of masturbation in young people. This is a subject we should not. In religion even be conversating about because we do not have a good handle on human behavior, on science, on biblical scholarship, on what the Bible is and isn't. And so we miss the mark, which the church now self-admits by again, removing Elder Packer's pamphlet from circulation and for the first time I'm aware of, they're not just redoing a conference talk like they did with Pullman, which by the way, if that's not familiar to you, go on to Google, type in Ronald Pullman, 1984, and good luck. There goes you down the rabbit hole. They did not pull a Pullman here and have Packer redo the talk. No. No. Packer dies and they remove his pamphlet from circulation. And for the first time ever, for the first time ever, they have removed a general conference talk altogether, gone, gone, go find it, go click it. It's gone. The church self admits it missed the mark here. Back to the talk. Now There are ways to conquer such a habit. First of all,
1: you must leave that little factory alone long enough for it to slow down. Resisting is not easy. It will take weeks, even months. But you can get the little factory slowed back to where it should be. I have another suggestion. The power to prevent such habits or to break them rests in the mind, not in the body. Don't let the physical part of you take charge. You stay in control. Condition your body to do the will of your mind. To do this, you must keep always worthy and clean thoughts. Divert your thoughts from things that lead you to mischief. Vigorous physical exercise benefits young men in many ways. You are most vulnerable when you are idle and discouraged. That is the time to keep on guard. I know a way to keep your thoughts worthy. It has helped me, and I explained it on one occasion in a general conference talk. It has to do with selecting a favorite hymn and making that as the channel for your thoughts to follow at a time of temptation. Another thing that will help you to prevent and to overcome such a habit—at times of special temptation, skip a meal or two. We call that fasting, you know. It has a powerful effect upon you physically. It diverts some of that physical energy to more ordinary needs. It tempers desire and reduces the temptation fasting will help you greatly. In the scriptures—and you should be acquainted with the scriptures—fasting and prayer are generally mentioned together. Prayer is a powerful instrument to bless young men. If a missionary, for instance, indulges in these unworthy practices, the Spirit of the Lord will leave him. When he is prayerful and will fast, the Spirit of the Lord sustains him, and he soon develops a manly restraint and control. Resist those temptations, do not tamper with your body. If you have already ceased to do it now, put it away and overcome it. The signal of worthy manhood is
0: self-control. What becomes somewhat uh, humorous. And again, I I don't want to belittle or demean the seriousness. I don't want to diminish the seriousness of this subject. Uh, in terms of what a high-demand fundamentalist religion assumes it knows about what God thinks, only to always be moving and changing from that. In other words, Mormonism claims to have the truth, and yet when you look over Mormonism's 200-year history, that truth is constantly moving. In other words, never do the top 15 men in Mormonism ever have a solid grasp of what the truth actually is. So I don't want to diminish the fact that religions are always putting their nose into these kinds of subjects and they don't have a damn clue about what is really going on in these subjects. But what I find slightly humorous is that these top 15 older men whose systems have slowed down, who don't, you know, whose sexuality almost certainly has Uh, diminished significantly to the point where like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, oh, I don't have to masturbate anymore. I don't have to have sex anymore. Like on some level, I'm not saying they don't do any of those things at all, but their, their, uh, impetus to do so is now significantly diminished from when they were younger. I'm 40 years old. I already start to see a little bit of that. I already start to sense a little bit of like all of that sexuality is not as high or as peaked as it was when I was 20 or 25. And so these 15 men get to stand up and go like, I have no problem controlling my sexuality. But the reality is if we could hook those 15 men up to a lie detector test, all 15 of them played with themselves in the shower. All 15 of them men masturbated. And so it reminds me of let's say David O. McKay or Joseph Fielding Smith or Bruce R. McConkie or any of those folks who said like, hey, those of color, they can't have the priesthood. Anybody who has the seed of Cain cannot be a priesthood holder. Anybody with one drop of African blood in them cannot be a priesthood holder. But guess what? If we pricked the finger of any of those men, including the prophets, from Joseph Smith all the way up to David O. McKay and anybody before Spencer W. Kimball. And we did a DNA test on those men. Guess what? They had African blood in them. Every single person, myself included, by the way, who gets their DNA tested. My brother went and got his DNA tested. My brother is essentially me. My brother has like 6% African blood in him. Do you understand? The church took positions on priesthood and it didn't know what the shit it was saying. It, had, it was clueless. These 15 men pretend they talk to God and they don't have a clue. They stand up there and say people with one drop of African blood cannot have the priesthood. And the reality is the very man saying that had plenty of African blood. And the same thing happens here. They open their mouth and they talk about things. But the reality is every one of them was playing with themselves and probably playing with themselves like crazy, like crazy as they entered puberty and became teenagers, every one of those guys. And they stand up there and act like they got it figured out, like they're the experts. No, that's insane. These guys don't have a clue about the shit that they're talking about. And so by when you when you speak about things which are centered around people feeling shame about at times, and you are not an expert and you pretend to be, you have no damn business in the conversation. And the church self admits that by removing this general conference talk completely. Back to the talk.
1: This creative power is ordained for the beginning of life and as a binding tie in the marriage covenant. It is not to be used prematurely. It is to be known between husband and wife and in no other way. If you misuse it, you will be sorry. Now a warning. I am hesitant even to mention this subject. It must be labeled as major transgression. It is not pleasant, but I will speak plainly. There are some circumstances in which young men may be tempted to handle one another, to have contact with one another physically, in unusual ways. Latter-day Saint young men are not to do this. Sometimes this begins in a moment of idle foolishness when boys are just playing around. But it is not foolishness, it is remarkably dangerous. When a young man is finding his way into manhood, such experiences can misdirect his normal desires and pervert him, not only physically but emotionally and spiritually. It was never intended that we use this life-giving power only with one who is our partner in marriage. I repeat very plainly, physical mischief with another man is forbidden. It is forbidden of the Lord. Now, there are some men who entice young men to join them in these immoral acts. If you are ever approached to participate in anything like that, That is the time to vigorously resist. While touring a mission on one occasion, a missionary said he had something to confess. I was very worried because he just could not get himself to tell me what he had done. After patient encouragement, he finally blurted out, I hit my companion. Oh, is that all, I said in great relief. (laughs) But I floored him, he said. After a little more... Uh, research into what had happened my response was well thanks somebody had to do it and it wouldn't <laughs> and it wouldn't be well for a general authority to solve a problem in that way <laughs> now i'm not recommending that course to you my young friends but i'm not omitting it you must <laughs>
0: You must protect yourselves. This is one of the more disappointing sections of this talk. Because as outsiders or unorthodox or even just empathetic and considerate and sensitive Mormons understand, this kind of rhetoric does set up violence towards LGBT folks. Now, Does Elder Packer say, go out and just beat up gay people? No, he doesn't say that. And Fair Mormon, uh, on their website, when they talk about this specific talk by Elder Packer, they say this. The story is not about Latter-day Saint people going out and beating up on gay people. Elder Packer is also clear that he does not recommend the physical attack, which the missionary launched on his companion. It is not an ideal response, but he does not omit it if necessary, to protect yourself. Thus, it is clear that the missionary did what he did to defend himself against a sexual advance. This was not a matter of the companion saying, by the way, I'm gay. I hope you can love and accept me anyway. He was attempting to persuade his companion into a homosexual act. Remember, Elder Packer began the story by saying physical mischief with another man is forbidden. Quote, some men, and then he's got the, the the Fair Mormon has the three ellipses, the three dots, entice young men to join them in these immoral acts. And one must vigorously vigorously resist such attempts. And so his victim protected himself. Okay, that's the end of Fair Mormon's statement. I'm going to call bullshit here. And here's why. Several things. One is that Elder Packer doesn't give us the account. Elder Packer doesn't say that one young man tries to rape the other man. If someone tries to sexually assault you, then by all means, do what you need to do to protect yourself against sexual assault. But because Elder Packer doesn't tell us the story, The most likely explanation, and even with when you understand the words he's using, and even with Fair Mormon, who seems to be giving you permission to floor somebody when that person attempts to persuade you into a homosexual act. Let me read Fair Mormon again. This was not a matter of the companion saying, quote, by the way, I'm gay. I hope you can love and accept me anyway. He was attempting to persuade his companion into a homosexual act. Remember, Elder Packer began the story by saying physical mischief with another man is forbidden. Some men entice young men to join them in these immoral acts. So if a gay male approaches you and says like, hey, I am attracted to you. I would love to have a sexual experience with you are you interested? That is not permission to floor somebody. So fair Mormon, you're dead wrong. But that's the problem. You need to defend the indefensible. The church has removed the talk because it no longer is okay with it. It has moved past it, but you still are going to have to defend the talk. Because you have to go even further than the church does. You have to say what the church refuses to say to everybody listening. When a human being comes to you and says, you're attractive, I'm attracted to you. I would like to have a sexual experience with you. That is not permission on any level. To physically assault that other human being, male or female. You simply say, no, I'm not interested. Great. Move on. If someone tries to sexually assault you, by all means, do what you need to do to protect yourself against being sexually assaulted. Do you understand the difference? You see, fair Mormon doesn't president packer doesn't that missionary doesn't the other thing elder packer owed us when he says this kind of rhetoric is one like i just said he has to he owes us telling us directly that one missionary tried to rape the other missionary he also owes the audience and the general public he owes them to stop and to insert some wisdom about, hey, look, I'm, I'm giving you permission to protect yourself against being sexually assaulted, but anything less than someone trying to rape you, they're just telling you they're attracted to you and they're asking if you would like to be part of a sexual experience with them, anything like that or less, you do not have a right to physically assault another human being. And you see, by not going into detail about these things, what Elder Packer has done is he has ambiguously allowed members of the church to think that physical violence against LGBT people are okay, that that's okay. If someone approaches you and lets you know they find you attractive and they're attracted to you and they wonder if you're interested and attracted to them. He has given permission for assault and violence against gay people by not being more clear and specific. And Fair Mormon, you made it even worse. If the members of Fair Mormon are listening to this, Use your brain, guys. Stop being blind sheep. Listen. Use your logic. Use your rationale. Ask yourself, does Fair Mormon defend the indefensible? Does the church step into arenas all the time that it has no damn business stepping into? Man, it it seems... Like it's like inside your gut, you're going like, oh, man, I wish this wasn't so stinking messy. I wish that we didn't have to defend this stuff. I wish we could use common sense and go like, oh, you're right. President Packer's talk was wrong. But you can't. Ask yourself, why can't you? Why can't you? Back to the talk.
1: There is a falsehood that some are born with an attraction to their own kind and that they can do nothing about it. They are just that way, and that is is—that is a malicious, destructive lie. It is of the devil. No one is locked into that kind of life. From our premortal existence we were directed into a physical body. There is no mismatching of bodies and spirits boys are to become men masculine manly men ultimately to become husbands and fathers no one is predestined to a life of perversion
0: and right there was a subtle reference that god will not create gay people a position that the church no longer holds when i look at all the damage that boyd k packer caused Every time he spoke on things like this, it reminds me how out of control people can be when they think they speak for God and they don't even have a clue.
1: Even those who have been drawn into wicked practices and are bound by almost unyielding habits can escape. If one of you seems trapped into that, escape. Go to your father or bishop, please. Your parents, your bishop, the servants of the Lord, the angels of heaven, and the Lord himself will help redeem you from it. Young Latter-day Saints, do not tamper with these powers, neither with yourself alone nor with any of your own kind. Never let anyone handle or touch those very personal parts of your body which are an essential link in the ongoing of creation. Many of the world would, I am sure, be amused at this council. Let them be amused. They live by another standard, a lower one. We live by the Lord's standard and will continue to teach it. Now it is normal and proper for a young man to become increasingly interested in young women, to begin to date and eventually to pair up, and we encourage that. But be careful. Keep your relationships with young women pure and chaste. Reserve those life-giving powers for marriage. Generally, a young man is physically developed for marriage long before he is emotionally or spiritually or materially qualified for it. In due time, when all things are in balance, you will be ready after you have kept yourself in physical control. After you are sufficiently mature emotionally and spiritually, after you have some material resources—that is the time for marriage—then you can enter into the new and everlasting covenant. You and your sweetheart will be sealed together for time and for all eternity. These sacred life-giving powers will then be released for your use. They will become a binding tie in your marriage. Through them, you will become a father. But for now, you prepare and follow the instruction in the scripture, Be ye clean who bear the vessels of the Lord. God bless you, our young brethren. Bless you that you may resist, that you might cleanse and purify yourselves. In doing so, I testify that you will please the Lord and you will please his prophet of whom I bear witness in the name of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Amen. The church says it doesn't hide its history, but it's removed a general conference talk that it now deems inappropriate. On some level, I get it. It doesn't want the talk accessible anymore. And some of that is a positive motivation. Like we don't want another generation of people using that talk to hurt each other and to shame each other. Amen, Mormonism. But at some point, you also have to take all these things you have deleted and hidden away and changed, and you've got to put them somewhere. Let me give an example. The 1832 account of the first vision, the church now openly acknowledges like there are more than one account. And they do vary on some level. And we may disagree over what level that is, but they do vary. The reality, though, is they've never shared that account. Like, here's the account, here's what it says. In the enzyme, in a general conference talk, no. The only place you can now find it, and it wasn't there all the time, It was. it's only been there the last few years, is to go onto the church's website, find the gospel topic essays, go find the essay on the vision accounts, click a couple of times in various places to get to the 1832 account. But the reality is they don't want the average member to read those accounts. They don't want the average member reading the 1832 First Vision. Hence, they've never placed it in the Ensign beginning to end. They've never placed it in a general conference talk. And to to have a conversation out loud with members about what those things mean. The church is always hiding things. It's always putting things in places or deleting them or withholding them or storing them away. And most members then are left to take the correlated curriculum as the gospel truth when it's not even one drop in a giant barrel of what's out there. This talk by Packer was deeply unhealthy for a multitude of reasons. And yet, prophets, seers, and revelators held this talk as true to the point that the church created a pamphlet on this talk. In other words, they all stood behind it. And then today they don't. Fifteen men who claim to talk to God, whose ground and foundation is always moving, These 15 men are imposters. They don't have a clue. They're winging it just like you and I, except they're further behind the times than you and I. They're 15 old men who think they know better, and then future 15 old men disavow these 15 old men as not knowing better. And there you have it. Mormonism. See you next time.
2: Hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its scenes while I was sleeping of cobblestone With the halo of a stream I turn my color to